Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, he rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. It's great to see all of you here. How many of you had too much turkey? Only four of you. God bless you all. I'm excited. That's great. You've been, you've been listening to the Word a little bit and being careful about how you live and how you eat. That's good news. That's very, very good news. This morning, we're going to continue in our conversation from 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at chapter 4. I've titled this sermon, Proven Faithful. And I did it simply because of this verse of Scripture in chapter 4 and verse 2. It says, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. All of us who are believers in Christ have been given a trust. And that trust is that we are to live our lives in such a way that we bring honor and glory to his life. Now, there are other ways to say that, but that's how I'm going to present it to us this morning. You and I have a responsibility as believers in Jesus Christ that we will live in a way that brings honor and glory to his name. So what does that look like? Well, Paul is just kind enough to tell us what it should look like. He also is kind enough to tell us what it probably should not look like. Paul has a way of doing that. Did you know that? He can tell you what's good. He can tell you what's bad. And at the end of the day, he encourages us to do the right thing. So this morning, we're going to talk about being proven faithful. I put a picture of this sequoia tree up there. That's the big redwoods or what, some kind of trees that grow in Northern California. The picture on the left is the little seedling. You know, we've had some bad fires in California. But after huge fires go through these forests where these trees are, that's when the seedlings come out. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting the way that God has a way of replenishing the world around us? I don't understand that. I don't get it. I was reading another article just this morning before I came to the church that talked about how much oxygen a tree would put out. And it takes in all these nutrients from the ground and it converts it and it runs it up to the top of the tree to the leaves are at the very top and in the process of doing that it takes in that stuff called carbon dioxide and turns it into oxygen and we get to live longer. Isn't that exciting? Can you tell I didn't study science? There's a reason I didn't study science. But I'm just telling you God has created an amazing world for us to live in and he's given us an amazing place to live in the family of God. And when he's given us this amazing place to live he's called us to live like his children. He's called us to live in a way that honors him. So whose opinion really matters in the world? Have you noticed that everyone seems to have an opinion now? Everyone, and I literally mean everyone has an opinion about virtually everything. Just look at the television a little bit. Look at the print media. Everyone has an opinion. The biggest I truthfully believe this. The biggest challenge that we have in our world today is that when everyone has an opinion, those who don't have the same opinion feel compelled to disagree with or to be offended by the opinion that someone else holds. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Yeah, what happened with just having differing opinions and agreeing to disagree? That used to be the gentlemanly way and, and the ladies' way to get along. I, I knew there was a word for, not, for women that weren't gentlemen, but I couldn't remember. There's a ladylike way to get along. Why can't we agree to disagree? You know, I have a dark blue suit on. Some of you would never wear a dark blue suit. I promise I will not be offended if you don't wear a dark blue suit. I will not be. I did not wear a tie today. I usually don't wear a tie. Some of you have ties on and you look great in ties. I promise I won't be offended if you wear a tie and I don't. 
I won't be offended by that. Some of you have hair. Some of you don't have hair. Some of you have long hair, short hair. I won't be offended by that. I need a haircut. It's a little shaggy. I figured out what a number three is on the sides. Some of you ladies don't have a clue what that is, and that's okay. Don't be offended if I get a number three buzz cut on the side. I kind of like that. I haven't learned the high and tight yet because I never was in the Marine Corps, and I don't feel like I deserve the right to wear a high and tight because I was never in the Marine Corps. But when we look at the world around us, Paul says, I care very, little if, very, very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. So the question I have for you is, what message do your actions really send to an unbelieving world? I want you to think about the things that you say when you're in the world just not in the church, well, maybe in the church building too, but I want you to especially think with me this morning about things that you say, things that you represent, how you live your life when you're out in the world. What would people say about this church if they heard your comments in a restaurant? Or if they heard your comments at work, or if they heard your comments at school or in the grocery store, what would they think about this place? It was interesting this morning in the adult class, Jason was teaching and he said, you know, the old saying goes, his mother taught him this, that you can tell a person by their checkbook and where they spend their money. And he's the, he was, I almost said he was the doughboy, but that wasn't really it. He called himself the pizza kid when he was in college because he bought so many pizzas and his mother knew he liked pizza. What do people know about you? What do they know about this church based on how you're living, how you're talking, what you're doing and what you're saying? What representation are you giving the world? What kind of testimony do you have about this church? What kind of testimony do you have about Christ? What kind of witness are we in this world in which you and I have the privilege of living and serving others? That's the question that I want you to think about. What message do your actions send to an unbelieving world? And trust me, there are a lot of people in the world, they're not believers. They're not. And sometimes the old expression goes, I, you know, the, the expression goes that I would rather see the sermon any day than hear one. Well, what kind of sermon are you living out? Paul even goes so far in one verse of Scripture, he says, those of you who are married, especially speaking to the women, he says, if you're married and you're a believer, but you're married to an unbelieving person, I need you to live a life that's so good, that's so depicting of living like Jesus, that that spouse with whom you're married would come to know Christ and you don't even have to say a word. How's that working out for you? And it doesn't have to be the spouse. Maybe it's the coworker. Maybe it's the friend. Maybe it's the neighbor. How's it working out for you? Do they see Jesus enough in you to convict you of anything if you were to be taken into a court of law? Paul goes on, and he asks three questions in chapter 4. The first one is this. For who makes you different from anyone else? I read an interesting story just a few days ago about a lady several years ago. It's when you would buy eggs from a local vendor, not in a grocery store. Some of you grew up in communities where people would raise eggs and they would sell them in front of the house and things like that. This lady, she had a gentleman from whom she generally always bought her eggs. And he, she went by one day and he had a lot of eggs, had a lot of extra eggs, seemed to have an overabundance, like either nobody was buying them or he got new hens. I don't know what it was. But he had a whole lot of eggs and he was selling them for 25 cents a piece. 
So half a dozen eggs would have cost a buck fifty. She's like, I'm not paying you a dollar and a half for six eggs. I'll pay you a dollar and a quarter. That's all I'm going to pay. And she fussed with him and argued with him. And finally, the gentleman who was very poor, he made his sustenance of living just by selling a few eggs and a few extra pieces of produce that he raised in his garden. He agreed to allow her to buy those six eggs for a buck and a quarter. Later that same day, the woman went out to a very fancy restaurant in town with some of her friends, and she paid several dollars for a meal. As a matter of fact, she paid about 25 bucks for her and a couple of her friends to eat there. And she left a $5 tip for the server. Now help me understand why she would treat that man who had nothing so poorly and then turn right around later that day and try to impress either her friends or somebody at that restaurant by leaving this exorbitant tip. How does that make sense in a world when we are supposed to be a believer? And when we should answer that question, for who makes you different from anyone else? Years and years ago, Lynn and I were, were working with a company, and a friend of mine who was in that company, he was a retired captain in the United States Army. And he, was a, uh, he, he worked in one of the labs in, in the Army. And he, he had started his business before he left the Army, and, and he wasn't doing very well. And he walked in one morning, and part of his responsibilities in working in that lab was that he had to do... Um, analysis and urine tests, okay? He had to test for drugs or what. I don't know what, what he was doing. But one, one day he walked into the lab and he had not properly put the lid on one of those little samples. And when he reached over to pick it up, a little bit of pressure got it built up in that thing and the little plastic lid popped off and hit him right in the forehead. And then it dawned on him right there at that moment. He said, you know what? I can't tell if that's from a captain or a general or a private because it all looks the same. And he realized at that moment that, you know what? All people are the same. I don't care what color your skin is. I don't care whether you're tall, whether you're short, whether you're skinny, whether you're fat, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you live in a big house or a little house. I don't care if you drive to work or walk to work or ride a bike. I don't even care if you take a horse. All people are people. And we as believers have a responsibility to realize, look, we're not any different or better than anyone else. The only thing that separates us from all of those people out there in the world that are not believers is that we are saved by the grace of God and they haven't figured that out yet. And we have a huge responsibility to help people know Jesus. We have been given a trust and we are asked to be faithful with that trust. And that trust is Jesus. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter how you talk. It doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter what dialect you have. The fact is we are all people. And of all people, we who are in the household of faith, who are believers, who are given this trust, should treat everyone with amazing dignity. Because who knows? Who knows? when we might even be entertaining angels unaware. Paul asked another question. He said, what do you have that you didn't receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Now, let me just talk about church a little bit here with you. You know, a lot of times, we who are in a particular church, we think we got all the answers. 
And we know we have all the answers because someone has taught us all the answers. And we've figured out all the answers. We're not sure what all the questions are sometimes, but we have all the answers. You get where I'm coming from. What is it about us that causes us to feel like the things that we have been given, that we've been blessed with, that has been endowed upon us, has been entrusted to us, why do we feel sometimes like it belongs to us and we own it? When the reality is it isn't even ours. It was a gift given to us. And if you've been given a gift, how about paying it forward and give someone else that gift? It's not something that we own. It's not something that we have. Yes, we're in the body of Christ, and yes, we clothe ourselves in Christ, but that isn't something that we got on our own. It isn't something that we figured out ourselves. It is a gift from God. Let's share the gift. Paul then goes on in chapter 4, and he talks a little bit. And some, some scholars, when they look at this particular passage of Scripture, they think that Paul is being just a little bit facetious. And in my humble opinion, I think he might be. Because he actually talks about these guys kind of thinking that they're doing great and doing wonderful things and, and kind of being kings, if you will, of their kingdom and, and doing some amazing things. And then he contrasts his life as an apostle with those men and those women who lived in the church in Corinth. And then he poses this statement to them about his life as an apostle. He says, to this very hour we go hungry and we're thirsty, we're in rags. We're brutally treated. We're homeless. We work hard with our hands, and yet when we are cursed, we bless others. Now, I want you to think about that. When we are cursed, we bless others. Remember that opinion thing I mentioned earlier in the sermon. Our opinion doesn't really matter. If someone doesn't like our opinion, it doesn't mean we go off on them. He says when we're persecuted, we endure it. Generally speaking, for those of us who have endured persecution, we would just as soon not endure that at all. Yes, we would rather not go, go through the persecution. But Paul says we just endure it. He says when we are slandered, we answer kindly. When's the last time you were slandered? How'd that work out? Did you answer kindly? Oh, I love you, brother. Thank you very much for saying that about me. He goes on and he says, up to this moment, we become the scum of the earth. We're the refuse of the world. Now, if that were a paragraph that were going to be used to depict the life of a Christian believer, how many of you would like to sign up for that job? So what is it about Paul and those who were the leaders in the earliest church, what is it that caused them to be able to live this way, and yet those who were in the church in Corinth were struggling with how they were supposed to live? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the simple fact that we haven't really given up our lives. And we haven't really given up the necessities that we deem to be necessities, the niceties. And I'm not saying we have to all go sell our houses and live homeless lives. That's not what I'm getting at. But what I do want you to think about as we look at this video in just a minute is I want you to think about the fact that so many times there are things that are going on in our lives that we just keep holding on to and we don't want to let them go. We just like them and we want to enjoy them. And as a result of our desire to enjoy them and have them, we just keep holding on to them. And sometimes, 
sometimes we might just need to let them go. I want to share this video with you. I want you to listen carefully to the words that this young lady shares because there's a powerful message here for us as we think about proving ourselves faithful. Here are some questions to prayerfully ask yourself. Where do I spend the best hours of my day? Where do I turn to for rest, enjoyment, and pleasure? And are there things in my life that I can't imagine giving up? It's one of the best ways you can tell if something has become an idol in your life. Can you imagine giving it up? Would you be willing, if God asked you to, to give it up? And if you're not, and even the good things in our life can become idols. Even if, you know, we're in a relationship or we're married to somebody, our family, those things can become idols if we're putting them above God. Sabina Warmbrat was such an amazing example of that. She had a husband that she loved, a child she loved, but she was willing to give them up for the sake of Christ. They were not idols in her life. I talked last night about the girl who said, you know, I want to be close to God, but honestly, I'm spending more time on Facebook than I am praying and seeking Him. Where do you spend the best hours of your day? I mean, do you wait until you're exhausted and then try to have a Bible study? Do you, you know, do you spend all your best energy on, on things that are not focused on the kingdom of God? And what do you go to for rest, enjoyment, and pleasure? Do you go to his presence? Do you realize that a time in his presence, a prayer time, will give you everything that you need? Every bit of refreshment, every bit of joy, every bit of peace, every bit of fulfillment? Or is that just sort of a concept that's like, yeah, that sounds nice, but I've got to have this. I've got to have my Starbucks. I've got to have my time with my friends. I've got to have my movies. I've got to have my Facebook time in order to have those things in my life. If you, if everything like that were stripped away and you were thrown into a prison cell, would Jesus Christ be enough for you? I remember hearing a story about a man who was thrown into solitary confinement. This was over in China for like a year of his life. And he was kept in the dark, in a solitary cell with literally no human companionship, no conversation, no light, nothing. They just pushed a plate of food once a day under his door. And when he got out of prison, his eyes were almost blind because he'd been in darkness for so long. But his face was so radiant and so shiny that people came up to him like, wow, what's happened to you? And other Christians that knew that he had been in solitary confinement said, what was it like? How did you survive that? And he said, oh, it was like a honeymoon with Jesus. He's like, I, I would love to do it again. He was so, I was so fulfilled in the presence of God in a year of solitary confinement. And we have to have uh, our Starbucks drinks. We have to have our computer time. We have to have our movie time. We have to have our TV time, whatever it is. Would we be fulfilled that way, like that man was, if that were all stripped away? And are we willing to give it up now and not wait until we're thrown into a prison cell in order to have a honeymoon with Jesus? Now, I'm not going to ask how many of you are willing to give up your Starbucks or Facebook. But I will ask you, how many of you think for even a moment you could survive that year in solitary confinement and come out with a more radiant face? The lady mentioned a gal's name, Sabina Wormwood. She and her husband lived in Romania. Her husband was a minister. And when the communists took over Romania, it was not a very pleasant time in that country, and they threw him in jail three times. 
She served years herself in concentration camps because of her faith. And we have trouble coming to church. There's something out of balance. There's something that's just not right. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we love to talk the talk. But I'm not sure sometimes we're willing to walk the walk. And we even like to talk about the walk, but I'm not sure we walk the walk. And that is, in essence, what Paul is trying to get the church in Corinth to understand in chapter 4. He's calling us to live a life that represents the presence of the Holy Spirit of God, that represents the presence of Jesus the Savior, that represents the presence of God in the flesh. And that comes through us. And it comes because we recognize that there's so many things in the world that the world deems to be super important. And the sad part is we think they're important too because we keep doing them over and over and over again. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to the true power that lives within us that gives us the strength to do the things that allow us to be faithful. Paul says in verses 18 to 20, he said, some of you have become arrogant as if I weren't coming, but I will come to you very soon. And if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how those arrogant people are talking, but what power they have for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And I'm telling you guys, that power comes from the presence of his Holy Spirit that lives within us. And that presence of his... Spirit comes to us because of the time that we spend with him. Do you give him the end of the day? Do you give God the last little remnants of the dregs of what's left in your bottle? After you've done everything else in the world that you deem to be important today, does God get the last three minutes? What would happen if you and I decided to be proven faithful. What would happen if the world around you knew about the power of the Spirit that lived inside of you instead of did you get the non-fat, low-fat, skim milk, double shot, vente, whatever they call it, latte. Can you tell I never order those? Would they know the power of the Spirit that lives within you, or do they know all of the postings on Facebook and Instagram and all of those other social media things? And all of those have their place, and they can be used powerfully in the kingdom, but are you using them? So can we be proven faithful? That's Paul's message to us. Can we be faithful? So this morning now, Brendan is going to come and lead us in a song. There is a stirring. And I don't know when he picked out this song, but I don't know of a better song that could follow this lesson. Because I'm telling you, if there is a stirring that's deep within you, uh, the Starbucks won't matter.
And the time on Facebook will become less, and time in the Word will become more. You get what I'm saying? So let's encourage one another to be faithful, to be proven faithful as we sing this song. Let me invite you to stand. If there's any of us here who need the special prayers for this church, from this church, I invite you to come and let us pray with you. If there's none here or some here who've never made that decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life, I invite you to make that decision today. Brandon, lead us in this song. Stirring deep within me, could it be my time has come?